0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Power Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome a new guest to the show today. Somebody, again, somebody I wanted to have on the show for uh, quite a while. Um, I got to meet him a co- um, last year in Ireland, um, which was a real pleasure. And uh, I'm delighted to welcome Jay Backer to the show. Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm Yeah, it's really warm today. Uh Yeah, it's nearly the weekend And (laughs) Yeah Yeah.
1: I got the kids this weekend So I got a busy weekend
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah Well yeah, the house I live in There's kids here as well So it's all going Yeah It's great to have you on the show Um, Yeah Jay is um, the pastor of Revolution Church In Minnesota uh, And does a lot of speaking And has been on a lot of podcasts And has some really great stuff to say and a really powerful story, so um, I'm really yeah. I wrote a few books too. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, good ones, good ones as well. Oh, thanks. Mate. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah, just just tell us tell us a bit of your story. You know, um, love to because you've got quite a powerful story. Well, I mean, man, it's
1: you know as I get older, And obviously it gets longer. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's true, yeah.
1: <laughs> <Just> <laughs> That's strange how time works. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, basically, I mean, I, you know, for me, I was, uh, as a kid up until about 11 years old, my parents ran, you know, a huge television ministry and, like, retreat center, almost theme park type thing, and were, were really huge in the States and in different parts of the world um hmm. they you know had millions of viewers and uh, were televangelists and um you know wanted you know two kids who grew up doing children's ministry and puppet shows and then ended up becoming televangelists almost like the American dream in some weird kind of religious way yeah and um you know started this kind of religious empire and I grew up in that and it was very surreal um I, um, you know, I had bodyguards. The private school was the school that was run by my parents' church.
0: Mm.
1: You know, um, so it was it was quite a surreal life. And then when I was about eleven years old in 1987, my parents had a huge scandal, and um, it was you know every rag magazine and news station, and I mean the world was you watching know, us, and it was you know, before, thank God it was before social media. Um,
0: Yeah.
1: I don't think I could have handled that. Um, But in a way, my parents were being canceled by, completely by the evangelical church. And, um, you know, and a lot of people in the world. And, you know, they were skits on Saturday Night Live and, you know, late night shows, you know, they were the joke of every late night show. And so it was, um, it was very tough to kind of go through this weird transition at 11 to watch my parents, you know, everybody wanted to sit on the couch and be interviewed by my parents and be a part of their ministry and then, you know, one day it's like the switch hit and no one wanted anything to do with them except to really just talk negatively about them and make examples of them.
0: Hmm.
1: And then a few years later, my when I was about 13, my father ended up going to prison and uh, originally got 45 years, only ended up serving five years um, but that was also really scary and a really uh, harsh dose of reality. So I kind of saw the underbelly of the evangelical church at a, at a very early age. Mm. Um, you know, so it was tough going up, you know, going to school and getting in fist fights because everybody knew who your parents were and things like that. And. um mm you know and, and, and the evangel- the I was raised in this, this uh, uh, denomination called the Assemblies of God you know yeah. and the concept of God was you know the God is this angry God kind of you know yeah. it's like you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God and you, I mean, you had to like please this God and do the right thing and I can almost see why my parents built this empire because it was like they were trying to please God you know and it, it never was enough um, and so I kind of left that a lot during my teenage years, and came you know, kind of in and out with that kind of stuff, and and I think really what happened when I was around mm, 19 years old. I'm 44 now, but when I was 19, I kind of you know, I had this friend who kept telling me about grace, you know, and telling me that I was making God's death in vain, and that I was trying to earn my salvation, and and uh, you know, all this stuff, and I I just thought he was. You know, calling me a bill of goods until I said, prove it to me, and let me read the book of Galatians. And it kind of changed everything for me. And and it's funny is because right before then, I helped start a church called Revolution with a few friends of mine in Arizona, but then I quit because of the pressure that I thought, you know, I thought I had this angry storekeeping man in the sky, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was. It was when I left and I kind of had this moment of of, aha, this grace moment, and started to realize that the church that I grew up in and most of the churches that I knew had really missed the point and that there was this thing called grace. And it just, you know, put a fire underneath me. And I started studying the Bible just back and forward and started looking into Greek and Hebrew books and then started reading, you know, buying books on the history of the Bible. And how it was put together and what the customs were at the time and, and trying to read the Bible in, within its context. And I don't know, uh, they should put a warning on you, it's really special about grace being a slippery slope. But, you know, <laughs> reading the Bible within its context and having his, his history historically accurate Understanding makes the book quite different than what uh, we are, you know, especially in the American church, are raised with. Yeah. So it just really changed my life, and I kind of went on this 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 deconstruction or reconstruction—I don't know what you would really call it—and I just continued to move forward. And um, you know, and just have had a lot. I mean, it would be it takes whole show to, to cover it all, but you know, I just had things where because of my speaking about grace, someone gave me a book by Brendan Manning, and that really changed my life, you know, and then mm. because I talked about that type of stuff, I got to go in with the Emergent Church, and so I got to know Brian McLaren and Tony Jones and some of those folks, and then that kind of changed some things in my life, and uh, then I moved to New York, and well, I became a gay-affirming pastor uh, before it was popular, you know, um, and I stood up for gay rights because I felt that that was the right thing to do and I was actually more of a a literalist when I did that you know Um, now not so much and that changed things for me and blew my world up Um, and I was in New York for a while and did Revolution there and um, met uh, Vince Anderson who was my co-pastor and um, Peter Rollins and me and Peter Rollins became best mates and um you really helped me through a lot of stuff and we have just been friends for a long time and uh, a couple years ago I went through a divorce and had a mental breakdown and the one consistent was Pete in my life and um, so Pete just seemed to continue to believe in me even when I didn't believe in myself and other people were telling me just to give up and and do something else with my life and Pete kept saying no I feel like your work is really important and um, so I started reading some of Pete's work. We've been best buddies for years and not really read each other's work, so I started reading more of his work and then reading some more philosophy and getting into Caputo and uh Tom McAllen, who's really amazing, He was I was there last year. Yeah. Um, you know, just you know, Tiller, Caputo, Hegel, reading all these different you know, looking into all these different people. Um, some that I still don't completely grasp, but then that just completely changed everything. So here I am, this kind of, like, guy who feels like his ministry is more of an art form than anything, and I'm just trying to, I mean, that's my my story in a nutshell. Mm. And, I, you know, I've been broken, suffer from depression, I have mental health issues and I know that you also suffer from that as well we're, we're, we're friends on Twitter
0: <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, absolutely and, uh, yeah.
1: you know, so we both been there and that adds another essence to that of where you a deep feeler, deep emotion you know, love passionately, hurt passionately yeah and um, I'm also uh, uh, a a uh, uh, I like to be alone a lot. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for, um, <sighs> introvert. I'm an introvert. Introvert. Definitely. That's it. Oh so yeah, introvert. I'm an introvert. So you know, um, so now I'm in a weird place in my life, and and thinking weird thoughts, and trying to encourage people to think well, and and argue well. And my country's very divided right now, and
0: yeah,
1: you know, trying to encourage people to actually talk to each other rather than scapegoat each other. And
0: yeah. And, yeah, that's
1: what's
0: happening I, yeah and I've, I've loved watching you on Twitter the last, the last few months because there's been some things that have happened on Twitter and I'm not going to talk about what they are but like you say scapegoating people and kind of shaming people and you know lynching people from making genuine mistakes and yeah. kind of you know going beyond what is healthy criticism um, and even
1: criticizing people for coming out and admitting they made mistakes. That's what I, you know, that's the model in my mind. That, people that are like, oh, it's too late, the damage is done. And you're going, like, wait a second, this isn't how we change lives. I mean, basically, we're discouraging people to come around, you know, and ask for forgiveness and change their minds. You know, it's like, yeah, it makes no like
0: that. That's right. And we all talk about grace and forgiveness and inclusion and then don't act in a way that's like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, pre- yeah. Fundamentalism is—I uh, I talked about that on the other show. My how much it's damaged me, I and mean, not just conservative fundamentalism, but progressive fundamentalism as well. Because they're just—it's yeah. just as damaging, and it really is. Uh, not more so. Yeah, way. I mean, I've—I I said that before on this podcast. I think I've had more trauma from progressive fundamentalism than conservative fundamentalism. To be honest.
1: Yeah, um, I feel like conservatives eventually come around and say, all right, let's you know, get on our feet and move forward, you know. And I feel like progressives often are just like done, you know, like you're just shut out. And, I, and, and it's, it's a pretty dark place, and it seems to be this competition on who can be the most progressive or the most woke or the most, you know, yeah. and, and I don't know. It just reminds me the, it reminds me a lot of what the evangelical church was in the 80s and 90s. You know, and it's like this righteousness, like the righteousness signaling, or trying to be like, you know, I've got the true answers. It's like, you know, and seeing all these people who who were evangelicals and switched into this, it's like they didn't. All they did is move one, the legalism from one place to another. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, they did, and, and
1: that's yeah that's tough. And what I feel like we have to figure out is how do we set ourselves free from that legalism and that judgmentalism in order to really have a, a, a shift, a real shift rather yeah. than just saying, well, I'm going to switch one certainty for another certainty
0: that's right, absolutely and it's, it's like it's it's like, you're all you're doing is changing the language, it's the same, but it's the same thing It's just, uh, and it's cool, you know, it's still moral purity, it's still exclusive, it's still people kind of standing and preaching to everyone else and telling them what what is moral and correct and you have to do to fit in you know yeah (laughs) and once you're out of it it's so obvious but when you're in it it's difficult to see um because I've been in it and out of it and uh you know I only realised I was in it when I came out of it you know it's um it's
1: I um, I think that's why I love Northern Ireland so much why I love Belfast mm -hmm. I'm like here is a city that was kind of stuck in this dualistic thinking of the troubles, yeah, you know, and and you know, you know, were, were you Catholic or, or Protestant type of tr- thought train, and, and to see that the peace that they made through that and came out of that and survived that, and I feel like why I'm so attracted to how that happened and why that happened because I love that country. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I honestly plan to retire in Belfast one day. Um, but yeah, I, I love the people there so much and just everything they've gone through and realizing that, that that dualistic thinking just didn't work, that there had to be another way. And listening to like bands like Stiff Little Fingers, the punk band who came out of Belfast, and how they hear them <laughs> hearing their early music about like, you say I have to choose this and choose that, but I don't want to choose either, you know? And sometimes I feel like that's what we're stuck in is this just like simplistic thinking, you know? Um, people don't want to think. You know, they just want to decide. Like, I'm either here or here. here. And I'm like, no. Let's think. Let's make this even more complicated, and um, and and be open to more interpretations and different ideas. And, and let's let's argue well. Like, you know, let's not. Mm. You know, I think you quoted Pete the other day about something where he was like, you know, it, it's you know, conflict isn't war. You know, conflict is what happens before war, or something like that. Yeah. You know?
0: like, it's funny. I was talking. To, I was watching a talk by Pete the other day. And he was talking about how war is the inability to resolve con- the the inability to have conflict or I to
1: think. resolve conflict. Or to resolve yeah. conflict, something like that. Never have conflict? Yeah, I mean you can't. That's why you go to war because you can't have conflict or you can't.
0: You can't hold you know, things. You can't hold conflict or disagreement in in tension. You have to. Right. You have to. You, know, you fight the other person to to win, like to win the argument. Right.
1: Well, and, and I think, like, just looking at the life of someone like John Lewis, um, yeah. was a civil rights activist, in, 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 amazing in, man. You know, yeah, and he lived. He was an amazing human being. I could model my life after him or MLK Jr. I, I mean, I try. Um, they lived within that conflict constantly. And because they realized that there were certain things they had to do in order to make a change. And they had to operate within a system, but they didn't have to be in that. They didn't have to, I mean, they could be in the system, but they didn't have to, like, dedicate their soul to that system. You know, they could think outside of that dualistic thinking. And um, there's something very attractive uh, about that. Mm. And I feel like love goes over those boundaries, you know, and goes outside of the dualism. And grace covers both of those areas, and that's why I always think grace is like a form of anarchy because it follows no one's rules, no one's regulations. And, mm. um, you know, it, it, it's sort of right or left or medium or up-down, whatever
0: <laughs> <Yeah.
1: Form. laughs> you know. And so I love that concept. And so I like the concept of just living life well and loving people to the best of my ability and having amazing conversations and also uh, disagreeing well, you know. Um, I have, I'm, I'm divorced, you know, I have two kids and I'm still raising my two kids with my, you know, with my ex-wife and have split custody. And, you know, we don't always agree on things, but what we've learned is that these two kids are so precious and so amazing that there's times that we just either have to compromise or argue well and realize that we have to do this for such a length of time that there's no reason for either one of us to completely carry the other one now. And uh, I think that's uh, a prime example of, of just you know, how we live when there's something greater than ourselves at stake, you know? And I think that's humanity. And, and I think folks you know, like us who suffer from mental health realize that, you know, a dualistic system doesn't really work.
0: No, it doesn't. You know, like you say, I've had my own struggles um mental health you know anxiety ADHD being highly sensitive um, been through grief lost a parent you know and it does teach you it's really weird when you when you go through the journey of actually confronting your your pain and your grief and your trauma rather than building a structure of certainty around it Yeah. then you you, you, you can't help but not think dualistically it's you kind of leave it behind it, it, you can't think dualistically anymore you, you, you have to let it go you have to start seeing the nuance in everything you have to start listening to people uh, and listening to people's stories and actually living in the tension because you can't yeah. you can't stay in the dualistic way anymore because it doesn't work Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's pretty awesome how how, uh, how transparent you've been with your your struggles, you know, and being very clear with people on, on, on. And I, sometimes I think I'm transparent and then I'll see a few of your tweets and I'm like, oh moly, <laughs> he's really putting it out there. And I think it's great because it needs to be out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and you're still part of the community. And I like to see when people encourage you and I can also see when people don't understand. Um, but, you know, but i have also not seen you like back down from people because you're going through it, you might like. I need some time off, you know. But hmm. you still seem to engage, and I, I really, I think that uh, takes an incredible amount of strength.
0: Well, thank you. That's really kind. You're welcome. Um, I appreciate that. You never know how you come across to people. So, <laughs> yeah, no, and it's really interesting. I, I, I've been doing some therapy, and one of the things that this IFS therapy that I've been doing has, has shown me is that I had a codependent relationship with with Twitter for a long time. And when I did, after doing the IFS therapy, that completely changed. And I had to, I then had to actually be intentional about going on Twitter and force myself to go on it, which was completely, di- a completely different mindset to what I had before.
1: What uh, was well, funny when you said that, I was like, when I saw you put that out there, I was like, don't say that. That's too close to home. You know what <laughs> I mean? Because sometimes I'm like, because I have to avoid codependency myself, you know? And it's like, Oh, because sometimes I'm so stuck, like between Twitter and Instagram. I'm like just like constantly on them. You realize that you're like I'm not codependent on anyone. No, I'm codependent on this freaking device. Yeah,
0: Yeah. and then like oh man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the reason I talk about it is because I, I think people need to know they're not alone, and because um, because it's community as well, and you get support and just to raise awareness and break down stigma because it's really important i mean one of the things i do is mental health activism and that's really how i do it through twitter and through this podcast that you know just talking about it and being honest about it because it's it's important
1: yeah i I agree i mean i uh gosh it might have been a year and a half ago i you know gave a talk where i talked about trying to take my own life and I was terrified, you know, and I was a little ashamed because I had kids at the time. You know, I still had kids, but my kids were young, and, mm. you know, and I, I, and I hate that I almost put them through that. Um, I, I'm grateful that I failed, um, but there was something quite amazing about being very clear about that and, and meeting some of the folks who just attended my church during that time and seeing what they got out of it and realizing because I thought you know I'm not going to have anybody left you know no one's going to listen to to me talk after I've you know done all this and got electric shock therapy and EMT and uh dialectic behavioral therapy which was actually quite amazing um and the rapid eye movement therapy too which was pretty cool yeah um, Yeah. that's much magical stuff I don't know how it works I didn't think it works but
0: it does work it really does yeah. Um,
1: yeah it's really bizarre um like, I didn't do it for a year I was like, ah, it's a bunch of um, But sharing that with people and going through that with my community uh, and and, and as my, with my church, I mean, it just really, like, had such a positive effect on other people's lives and my own life and, and getting the feedback and actually being a part of the community and not just being a pastor from a pulpit, you know, or whatever, you know, like, or a voice on the on the podcast, they actually interacting with folks all over the country and the world and, and you know, having mm. put my heart out there and then hearing what they had to say and then putting their heart out there. I mean, it was very uh, validating and healing, um, uh, mutual healing, I think, on both sides. And, and so I think, yeah, it's super important to be open about what people are going through. I mean, the world is upside down right now. And, and I think people are, who don't usually suffer from depression are going through depression yeah you
0: know, and with that. So, and yeah give them a little bit of hope yeah and it's more than ever we need to be talking about mental health we need to be talking about how we process grief um because we're all grieving yeah. in one way we're all carrying a lot of grief some of it we haven't even touched on yet we don't even know we won't even see it until this is kind of over in a way you know yeah. that's having been through grief and been through actually a healthy and unhealthy ways of processing grief I can see how this could pan out the the two ways this could pan out for individuals and culturally and so you know and I still have this theory that a lot of what's happening politically in in both the UK and the States is down to a lot of unresolved grief and people not processing their grief well and uh, You know, but that's a whole other discussion. But,
1: but no, so yeah. it's to deal with grief. I didn't. I feel like I didn't deal with it with my my when my mom died. I kind of just jumped into a relationship. I went through a, you know a divorce, and my mom died all around the same time.
0: Mm. I,
1: I've been married, divorced twice. Um But yeah, I didn't feel like I dealt with it in a healthy way, and I realized that it caught up with me. And that's the weird thing is that grief, grief is going to grief. You know, and. It, you have to make a decision to go through it or let it go through you and um, unfortunately the first time I, I let it go through me and that was really tough you know. Mm. and now I've learned with my last marriage and things like that to really breathe it, to really feel the pain and I'm a good therapist you know, to work yeah, through those
0: issues absolutely I cannot recommend that more because uh, and there are affordable ones out there, ones who do sliding scale or some that are cheaper. Yeah. If you really look, uh, you know, there are, and lots of them do zoom now as well. Yeah. Which, during the pandemic, is exactly what what you need. So, yeah, I yeah I, I recommend therapy to everybody because it it, uh, it you get I always say get professional support and also find people around you who can support you as well. Yeah. Uh, you can trust and just go to. You need both you need community and you need professional support Um, Yeah, we've talked about actually how churches can do mental health better uh, in a few episodes on this show and um, that's something that's certainly going to need to be talked about more going forward as well because it's going to be a major issue going forward um, even more than it was before
1: definitely I mean that for me I'm always recommending good therapists because I'm just like I'm not a therapist you know often pastors will act like therapists therapist mm. and like, the Christian counselors I mean, we usually mean well but I'm always you know trying to encourage people to, you know you know, find a professional find someone that's good at what they do and um, and work through it
0: and how do you balance that because there must be a temptation I guess to as a pastor to to want to help people who you know going through mental health challenges? So like, how well, I mean, do you... I,
1: you know, I mean, I I, I I mean, I definitely like have a lot of people I text back and forth with. It's funny because I'm so introverted, you know, but I mean, all over the world that I'll text with or we'll just talk in in direct messages on Instagram or Twitter or something. We're going through hell, you know. And what I do is I listen. I share my own story. And I give advice. But part of that advice is you really should find a therapist. You know, like, I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. Um, You know, and I I, I, I got, you know, fooled when I was younger with pastors who thought that they had the answers and they didn't work. Um, Mm. So what I've tried to do is is just be transparent with people, love people where they're at, listen to them, share my own experience and strengths and hopes. And... uh, you know guide them into hopefully a really good professional therapy or a good recovery group or support system um you know everybody's different um but I, I've, I've been lucky enough to really reach out to a lot of people and it's funny because i just was working with somebody who went through a really bad divorce and you know i just recently had a breakup and they reached out to me and talked to me and encouraged me and so you know it's you know, it's pretty cool, you know, and it's all through, like, text messages, you know, so it doesn't have to always be, you know, for introverts, it's hard for me to go out and yeah. Yeah. spend a lot of energy people, you know, and, uh, around people, but, it, but, man, texting and Instagramming and, and doing certain things like that has been really, you know, really cool for me, or, you know, a, a short phone call
0: yeah that's right those things are really really important are, yeah. and that's the role of a pastor rather than you know not to be a therapist but to be a pastoral support, yeah which is different from therapy uh, so yeah that's great um I mean you've been through a lot um, so how has that shaped your own relationship with Jesus well
1: Quite (laughs) 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 quite difficult to answer. Um, it when I went through my my mental breakdown, I really felt like God was gone. Like Jesus and God or whatever any good vibes. Everything was just gone, you know. Hmm. And there were times where I would sit in my shower or stand in my shower and cry and be like, Where the hell are you? you know. Um, and it's, it's strange to me because I, I, I read, uh, I, was, I started reading one of Pete's books, and where Pete talks about um, Jesus' moment on the cross. Now, i would heard Jesus, Pete give this talk before, um, but it just didn't hit me as much as when I was reading it, is that, you know, that moment that Jesus was abandoned on the God, cross, and goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, and Jesus becomes somewhat of an atheist at that point, point, uh, and, and a more radical reading of the gospel. And, and even that, the garden moment, you know, take this up from me. Yeah. And what that did was that reconnected me with Christ in a way of the God being abandoned by God on the cross. And... It was the most connection I could find at the time. Matter of fact, I remember I happened to do an Easter Sunday service, and all I could do is preach crucifixion. Like I said, there's no place for resurrection in my life right now. I'm sorry. There's a lot of other churches if you're looking to find that. But right now, that is all I have. But sharing in that, um, was something that was, I don't know if supernatural is really the right word, but it was extremely enlightening and extremely hopeful. And, um, you know, now, I, it's like now I don't worry about believing or not believing because I feel between the two all the time, you know. What I think about is faith and hope and, uh, you know, thinking well and mm-hmm. how can I, you know, I probably won't change the world, but how can I maybe spark something in the person who does, you know, or spark something in someone to survive, you know, and, and spark a little hope. And just living in that in that tension, you know, um, not really needing to have the answer, yeah, um, has has been really great for me, you know. And I I, I see the humanity in Christ as well, and and I'm drawn to that. I'm drawn to the idea of loving your enemy and being kind to them. Um, mm. You know, those are things that really probably keep me as a Christian, you know. Um, I think that I've been recently reading this on the bound book about Hegel and seeing how Hegel's life was transformed because of the love that we experienced through the idea of Christianity, which kind of blew my mind, um, that I that that, that Hegel like Hegel, probably one of the most brilliant minds to to exist, found something there. And um so those type of little things, those type of yeah. things give me hope, you know, of of experiencing the infinite as a finite human being. And the infinite for me is grace and love and stuff like that. And I see that through Christ. I see that through Christianity. And uh, that's why I continue to stay with it and follow with it. Because everybody, I got asked the other day, and I said, how do you stay this way? Mm-hmm. And I just don't, I'm like, I don't, I don't, not, I, once again, it comes back to that dualistic thinking of, you know, or you're a theist or you're an atheist or you're, you know, I go, no, you know, that's not the world I live in. You know, that's not how I, what I do. I don't live in those, that that economy anymore. Um, I just live and I do my work and that's why I feel like it's art and it like just comes out of me. You know, I have to take things in. I have to read good books. I have to study hard, hard, you know, issues and look deeper into things. I have to learn to think and really think well and not just jump into anything. It's easy to do with Twitter and Instagram is just respond. But I try to think through things and look at things and dissect things and uh, and just live my life and try to encourage other people to live life well too. I just think we've gotten hung up on this very dualistic idea of vegan and faith, a belief, disbelief, um, a Christian and yeah. non-Christian conservative, you know, aggressive. Yeah. You know, all these thoughts, and I just—that's not where I'm at anymore. You know, and I and I hope that with continuing studying and having this time, that I'll be able to communicate that better with other people. But right now, I'm just trying to do the best work I can, and encourage people to, you know, live in that live that life, live intention. I mean, life is life is so much part of life is suffering. Um, and yeah. you know, learning to kind of embrace a lot of that suffering in some ways, um, but maybe also realizing that what we see as suffering has been been put ingrained in us. To think like, oh, if I don't make this choice, then I'm, I'm a horrible person, or I'm a bad person, or I'm a lukewarm person, you know. And, and just saying, no, I've got to unlearn some of those things that were, were put inside my mind and ingrained in me as a young, you know, as a young person, and, and kind of let go a little bit. And, and live in that. So that's that's you know yeah. what I'm trying to
0: do. You know. Yeah, and I resonate with a lot of that because I've some of those stories are the ones I resonate with too. that, that and I said before on this podcast, I see Jesus most divine in his in his humanity. Yeah. the, the times Jesus is most human are the times where I see him as most divine. Um. And it, I mean, it, so there's a whole lot of phrases that I was brought up with in the church that have now got different meaning for me. You know, the yeah. na- like, um, when we talk about Jesus was 100% man and 100% human, I now understand that as when you get to your full humanity and your full embodied self, that's when you become most divine. Yeah. And, that, and Jesus was. Jesus embraced his full humanity, which is what made him both human and divine. Um, so there's that yeah, one. Guess,
1: uh, yeah, it's funny to me. Is like, and, it, and it's not, for me, like, like, it hasn't even been just Christ's humanity that encourages me. But, like, mm. looking at civil rights leaders' humanity, um, looking at humanity of um, John Lydon, or people known as Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols, you know, I've looked at, you know, studied a little bit about his life and how he's so truly who he was and like how right now he's taking care of his wife who's suffering from dementia and just putting everything in the... And just seeing these humans who just live life and live life well and make hard decisions. And there's something about that humanity. I'm not a humanist because I don't like people that much. But <laughs> <laughs> but, there's, but there's something beautiful in, in humanity in all of this struggles and brokenness and, uh, and, 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 and and the ability to still say I'm going to live life
0: well mm, I agree I agree and you know that narrow path feels like the path between, fundam- between the two sides of fundamentalism and down the middle down the narrow path you find Jesus yeah um, yeah yeah. It's it's really it's really funny how similar some of our story is as well. Um it's really great. It's always good to find a kindred spirit. Yeah, it is. yeah. So um uh but this has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like um we'll we'll have to do this again because I think there's more can, there's more we can talk about. So yeah. Um Yeah, that's great. I'm looking forward to that already. Um, (laughs) uh, So where can people connect with you? Um, Well, revolutionchurch.com is our
1: website. Um, I'm Jay Baker on Facebook. We're Revolution Church on Facebook. We're Revolution Church MN on Instagram. We're on Twitter. I'm just Jay Baker, 2Ks on Instagram. Jay Baker with 2Ks. On Twitter, so yeah, you can pretty much find me in all those places. I'll be there.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And do check out Jay's work and everything. It's fantastic. So. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, my but, pleasure, honestly. And good to see you again. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Hopefully, we'll see each other again sometime. Yeah. Um, Maybe next year in Ireland. But uh, we'll chat before that. We'll chat before that for sure. So, um, thanks for listening, everybody.